Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Filmcast, a podcast about movies. I'm David Chen, and I was also ugly and untalented in high school, but you don't see anyone making a movie about me. <laughs> Joining me today is Devinder Hardwar. When I tried to start a, a fight club in high school, it didn't go so well for the Junior Classical League. <laughs> <laughs> and Jeff Ganada. If we're going to have famous NFL players as high school teachers, I humbly submit Chad Ochocinco for Spanish, Patrick <laughs> Mahomes for Home Ec, and of course, Dick Butkus for Sex Ed. <laughs> wow. I don't even know what that was, but the uh, th- those were all vague and oblique references to the fact that today on the podcast, we're going to be reviewing Bottoms. BJ Colangelo from SlashFilm.com will be joining us for that. Really looking forward to that review. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at SlashFilmcast.gmail.com. Find us on Instagram, Threads, as well as on YouTube at the Filmcast Pod. Find us on TikTok at the Filmcast, posting new videos there every week. And also, Patreon.com slash uh, film podcast is where you can find our Patreon page where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. Now, I do have a non-announcement announcement to make today. And that non-announcement announcement is, I want to say years ago. Was it years ago or has it just been like six months? Which, <laughs> Time is which a flash. It feels, year. it's years. It feels like it's been years ago where um, I, uh, or uh, Jeff was about to bring up a movie on the podcast during what we've been watching. And he said, our buddy Dan Trachtenberg, the director of the Emmy-nominated film Prey, suggested that I watch this film, right? And For many years. For, for, for years and years. He would text me. For years, he's been wanting you to watch it. you watch movie? it? Have you watched it yet? Yeah. And uh, you were about to mention the name of the film and talk about it. And I don't remember, was it I that interviewed? I was like, hey, may- maybe don't say it because maybe we can get Dan Trachtenberg on the podcast to talk about it with us on the After Dark, right? And so we've been waiting and waiting months for the stars to align for this opportunity. And it just turns out that uh, we have a little window where on this week's episode of the After Dark, we will be not only revealing the title of the that movie, uh, but we'll also be uh, talking about the movie. Uh, everyone on this podcast will have watched the movie and we'll be talking about it in depth. Uh, we had asked people to guess what is this movie that Dan Trachtenberg uh, might have wanted Jeff Kanata to watch. And people sent in, I'm going to say, hundreds of guesses. And not a single person guessed correctly. Uh, there uh, can was I ask not you guys, sing- had either of you ever seen it before now? No. No, I'm aware of its existence, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I have I am familiar with the VHS box art for this movie. <laughs> Good art, uh, a very memorable art. But other than that, I have no uh, no knowledge or memory of this movie at all. I, I don't think it has been talked about by anyone in my entire <laughs> professional so is, and adult life. In fact, online, there's just no discussion of it. No, no is, trace of analysis. Of the juicy <laughs> stuff. See, anyway. the, these guys wanted to reveal the title now, but this is the juicy stuff because people are percolating now. They got their minds <laughs> racing. What could it possibly be? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, you know, some people sent in some some ideas. Here, here are some ideas that people sent in. They thought this was the movie. Um, the Conversation. I had seen that several times. Yeah, um, the assassination so no. of Jesse James by the the coward Robert Ford. This is a movie um, that I think Dan recommended to me at one time or another. I still have not seen, but yes, that, that is not the it. The fall. 
The Fall, Tarsum's movie, The Fall. No, you seen that I love The Fall. I saw that when it came out. Did not care for it. Mm, beautiful movie, though. Yeah, beautiful uh, shot. Sure. The Girl Who Left th- Leapt Through Time. Um, oh, that would have been fun. The Descent. Those mm. are some some movies that people people had thought All that it might incorrect. be incorrect. Yeah, yeah. Uh, not a single not a single person guessed correctly. And so after I'm going to say hundreds of guesses, we just said we stopped mentioning it because it's like no one's ever going to guess what yeah. the movie is. No one's ever going to guess what the movie is. Um, so on this week's episode of the After Dark, we will reveal the movie and then talk about that movie in depth. Um, and yes, as Jeff indicates, there was a heated discussion about whether we would reveal the movie on the main podcast. We will reveal it next because like people are in the Slack, they'll talk about it, they'll reveal what the movie is. So it's like, yeah, we'll um, we'll definitely mention it on the main show. So folks that you know can't support us. We'll get that information. Yes. They just won't get that information before the folks that support us and yes. hear our discussion about it. That's right. That's right. Well, you know, I, I wanted people to be ready for the review, but you know. Uh, oh, you can't get has... ready for that review. <laughs> the path has been chosen. Patreon.com slash film podcast is where you can uh, subscribe to get the After Dark and find out what is it this movie, what is this random movie that Dan Trachtenberg recommended to Jeff Kanata that not only could none of you like, not only has Jeff Kanata never watched in decades, but that none, no one could possibly have guessed what it was. It's not that he just recommended it, Dave. He was incessant about it. Mm-hmm. It was. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would just get a text out of the blue, like, "Have you watched it yet?" I would. I would get sick or or down for the count, and Dan's like, "Oh, perfect opportunity <laughs> for you to watch this." Yeah, I'm talking yeah. about years of my life where that would yeah. happen. Well, on. You know, the after dark this week, which typically comes out on Thursdays, people will find out what that was all about. So, a long time film cast mystery comes to an end this week. Stay tuned. Okay. Let's get to the rest of the show. Let's talk about some what we've been watching, folks. It's been a few weeks, folks, since we have done a normal episode of the podcast. But let's start with what we've been watching this week. Uh, recently, I had a chance to see The Equalizer 3. Still is, equalizing. Yeah. E- even more equal, I guess. <laughs> this Balancing is the, the equation. <laughs> this is the... Uh, I mean, you guys joke, but that's kind of the premise of the I kind of want to see this. Right? I mean, yes, I do want to see this. Have you guys seen any of the Equalizer? I, I have I've seen not. the first one. Uh, Jeff has not seen any. Jeff has not seen any. Devinger has seen the first one. I have watched every single Equalizer movie. And... I, I think you can spoil the premise of this one because I think the premise is very cool. Uh, the premise of this e- the specific movie three. or oh, the oh, Equalizer, the equalizer okay. in Italy. <laughs> yes, Ooh. that's right. Ooh. That's right. It's the Equalizer in Italy. And actually... Equalizing well, the Mafia. Oh, man. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> oh, man. A, so, an organization notoriously out of balance. Their mm-hmm. books are out of order. Yeah. <laughs> So the idea behind The Equalizer, which is based off of the TV series, Denzel Washington plays Robert McCall, a former U.S. Marine and DIA officer. And the idea is he basically is a random vigilante. Like, he has no system <laughs> for how he solves people's problems. But the idea is that by bringing his skills to bear on normal people's issues, he can, quote-unquote, equalize mm. The odds. He does have a watch. Them. He loves that watch. It's him against everyone else in the world, and or, or it's it's the working, you know, lowly blue collar working class people against all the corrupt, you know, corporate people and mob people and mafia people in the world, 
And only Robert McCall can help them equalize the odds. Now, Equalizer 1, very solid action movie, in mm-hmm. my opinion. Um, and what you realize is great about Equalizer 1 is that it has, it has a great villain. Equalizer 1 has a great villain, played by Martin Sokas, I think, mm. who plays Teddy in the first movie. You may recognize him as the assassin character from The Bourne Ultimatum. Um, so... He was one of the assassins aboard Ultimatum. He was also great in Equalizer 1. And that was what was great about Equalizer 1, was you had Denzel Washington going up against mm-hmm. this guy who was also like kind of felt as skilled as Denzel Washington in the movie. Um, it also felt like a spiritual successor to Man on Fire, which is a movie I love. And mm. I think was was absolutely kick ass when that debuted, and we it was a while until he was like in full on ass kicking mode. Well, I, think. E- yeah. I mean, Equalizer Three basically is a yeah. a yeah. successor to Man on Fire because it ha- it is I think the first Dakota Fanning Denzel Washington re- you know re- reunion since that. Oh movie. wow, yeah. So I, I was actually gonna. Here's the thing: I was actually so excited to watch this movie in IMAX, which I did on opening day, uh, and I was excited to text Devendra about it and say mm-hmm. Devendra. Mm-hmm. Man on Fire reunion, Denzel Washington and Dakota Fanning together again at last um, in a vigilante action movie. I'm down. You have and sold yes. the problem is, I don't think the movie's that good, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> here, here's the problem with both Equalizer 2 and 3, guys. Not enough Equalizer. Hmm. Uh, I know that feels ridiculous in a movie called The Equalizer, but the idea is that... Uh, Robert McCall is a complete badass. He basically has the same superpower as Sherlock Holmes does in the Guy Ritchie Sherlock Holmes movies. Do you guys know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. uh, Let's time slow down. Right, he can slow down time and be like, okay, if I punch him in the throat, he's going to throw up and then I'm going to kick him in the balls. You know, like... (laughs) He has has the ability... Thank God that time slowed down (laughs) to figure that one out. (laughs) He has the ability to, like, predict those things, right? And so, like, in... Equalizer one and two, you would see this thing time slows down, mm-hmm. and then he like looks at everything around the room, and he like he, he hits his watch, and he gives himself a time limit to yeah. kick everyone's ass. Yeah, and he's I like, love it. Uh, he's love like the 30, sec- thirty seconds to take down every, ter- take down all eight people in the room. All that stuff is gone in this movie. He doesn't. There's no slowing down time. Wow. There's no watch shit. Like it's what I'm there for. He does. He does like kill a bunch of people. That's. Not, I'm not saying he doesn't do that, but like it. It, it feels like the killing is not even. Like I, I just he's not equalizing. He's only killing. He's not equalizing. I'm convinced that the people who make these movies, aka Denzel Washington and Anton Fuqua, don't understand why people like these movies. Which is, <laughs> we want to see Denzel Washington equalize, mm-hmm, right? Like mm-hmm. that is yeah, the Anton only way should know this. Yeah, I don't get. It's called the Equalizer. Now, here's what's great about the movie. Okay, Are you, were you screaming in your theater? Equalize, equalize. Yeah. It's a, it's a, the Equalizer. The Italian vacation. I guess. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I will say the movie is gorgeous. Like it is filmed in this like Italian village that's right in the, the seaside. It looks incredible. Like it's yes. one of the it's one of the best looking it's it's the best looking equalizer film for sure. Um this is definitely better looking than Boston. Uh which is where <laughs> where the first two were filmed. First time anyone um, has said that about Italy and Boston. <laughs> So, so I will give it that, and it, it's nice to see Dakota Fanning back in the mix. You know, I don't, I don't know that she does a particularly does great she job. equalize or is she just there to no, be saved? She's, she's. They try to give her something to do, mm. and I don't think they're very successful. Mm. Let me put it that way. Um, okay. But you know, you do get to see Robert McCall taking down a bunch of mafia guys. You know, like, and that's that's kind of fun. But it just feels like you know, 
it feels like listening to a band that doesn't play the songs that you love anymore. You know, it's like it's like they kind of play them out of obligation. You know, they're playing Freebird out of obligation, and it's like, yeah. But I'm coming to the concert for the Equalizer. You know, like <laughs> yeah, right. that's why I'm there. I have my Equalizer um, T-shirt on. I'm all excited for Equalizing. Yeah. It's not terrible. It's not terrible, but it's like, but Devendra, I did not send that text because <laughs> it, I was like, ah, oh, that was pretty underwhelming. Not enough okay, equalizing. Okay. So I will, uh, I will video on demand this one I just think, for yeah, the setting. Hundred yeah. percent video on demand, worth checking in out. Three it, days from today, you when you can video on demand Equalizer three. What a world <laughs> we live in, indeed. But I do yeah. think Equalizer one uh, is highly enjoyable. And Jeff, you know, if you're looking for a good dad movie, a term I know you love. Mm, I do. Um, do love that movie. Then check out Equalizer One. That that is a great one, and and, and it is a lot of fun. So, uh, all right, that's the Equalizer Three. It's out in theaters right now. And by the way, did really well at the box office when it <laughs> debuted. People still love seeing Denzel ostensibly equalizing. All right, Devinder Hardwar, uh, hit us up with something you've been watching. Sure, I've been checking out the new One Piece show on Netflix. And, um, you know, guys, I've never really talked about One Piece on on the show before. You know, the anime series has been going on forever. The manga, I believe, has been going on for over 20 years or something. I, I'm not a big One Piece fan. And that, that's a reason why, because I find it impenetrable. It is just really, really hard to dive into something that has like thousands of, uh, you know, uh, volumes or hundreds of episodes. Um, but this Netflix series does something miraculous. It turns One Piece into something anybody can get into in just like a handful of episodes. I believe it's eight episodes long. I've seen the first few and I'm having a ton of fun with it. Uh, it's about a, uh, how do you explain One Piece? It's about a world where there are pirates everywhere. You know, it's just a lot of, a lot of sea. Uh, pirating is a thing. It's like the thing everybody does for fun. There is a boy uh, named Monkey D. Luffy who has stretchy powers and with those stretchy powers, he wants to be the pirate king. That is the setup of One Piece. And he gathers a crew. He goes on adventures. He fights uh, cartoonish-looking villains. And uh, that's it. That That's the show. But somehow that formula has been like sustaining storylines forever. I think this yeah. Netflix show is a lot of fun. Um, but Dave, I also know you saw this. So I don't know. Are you familiar with One Piece? I have think of this? no familiar. Like, I know it's legendary. legendary. Right? I, yeah. Hundreds yeah. of issues and... It's been going on for decades, and I know it's like very revered, right? So there I, are some yeah. booktubers I follow that absolutely love One Piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's been I going on first... since ninety since nineteen ninety seven. It's when the first comic came out. I saw the first three episodes of One Piece. Um, covered it with Patrick Klepek on Decoding TV, mm. and I think Patrick and I both had the same reaction, which was uh, we didn't regret the time we spent uh, watching the show. But it's like, okay, that hey, that was nice. Okay, and now we can do something else now. You know, like it wasn't. It's, it's a perfectly it, good sit. Yes. It's a perfectly good sit, but it's not a show that felt like it compelled us. And also, mm -hmm. unfortunately, and I know this is sacrilege to a lot of people, I found the main character to be pretty insufferable. Oh um, man, and, Dave. And 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 the problem, yeah. as I as I articulated on the on the that's on, it. You, you can't watch it exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's yeah. like he is. These he feels like a you know he's the one piece of this entire story. <laughs> the, uh, Stephen Tobolowsky had this saying of like there's some characters who are like the spice in the stew. Yes, Ned Ryerson is the spice you know in the stew. Like he's not the stew though. Uh, Monkey D. Luffy feels like a spice character to me, but he is the stew. He, he is, is the he's main the main character, character in almost yeah. every shot in the in the first three episodes, and so it's like. Uh, 
I, it just was a little bit yeah. too much for me. He, he is very, very animate. He's pure exuberance. He's mm-hmm. pure optimism. He is pure like, yeah, I'm I'm a kid on a raft, but somehow I will find this mystical one piece treasure and become the pirate king. He has full belief in himself. It's not for everybody. Like, that's it. If you if you cannot stand this character because he is just like he is straight up the anime character brought to life. And I think um, a I'm looking lot for of characters praise. who I'm looking for characters who are broken down by like broken, who have no yeah, will anymore yeah. to continue. This is this not guy, a Lars von Trier this guy, character. This guy is like optimistic and has hope. It's like <laughs> he believes what? in himself and yeah, lifts he, everybody up around him. What? I don't know GTFO, what to do with it. GTFO with that. The as, actor, as the kids say. Inaki Godoy, I think, does an incredible job of bringing this character to life because he's all, it's one of those things where it's like, uh, do you want to be, how do you be uh bugs bunny in real life? Right. How do you, how do you make bugs bunny a live action character? That's not CG, just a person. And Luffy has always seemed like somebody who I don't think anybody could have really embodied, but this actor is doing a fun job. And the show really understands what makes one piece fun in terms of like uh there's big ship battles there's big hand-to-hand combat there's a lot of action there's a lot of special effects too like it really leans he has when i say he has stretchy powers he has stretchy powers he can stretch his arms he can stretch his lips and his limbs uh almost like uh you know almost like uh what uh mr fantastic or something yeah, yeah. um very very similar to that but Everybody is unique. Everybody has like special powers. There's one villain who I think I think is just kind of wild. Is that I'm not going to spoil much. I I just think this show handles the tone of One Piece and what makes it fun. It really really captures that because I was so disappointed by the live action Cowboy Bebop show. Yeah, yeah, which yeah, yeah. attempted to do a similar thing and felt like it was just um, that felt like it was a copy of a copy. Whereas this feels like, nope, they're just adapting One Piece. And yeah. I think they they are spiritually, they're really like capturing the spirit of the show and the property. And uh, yeah, the cast is great too. One of his friends, uh, he's like a, uh, he's a swordsman. He's a sword fighter played by Makenyu. And that actor is a son of Sonny Chiba. Mm. You know, and you can kind of you can kind of feel the legacy going on here. He's also a really great action star. So I'm just I've, from an action perspective, from like, I just want a fun, like little fantasy story to dive into. I think this really succeeds. Yeah, I think it's very uh, it's a very reasonable adaptation. I think I can see a lot of people having fun with this. And also uh, I texted friend of the show, uh, Anise Ansari about this. And mm-hmm. I, I said, Hey, I'm not really into the Luffy character. And he said, David, you strike me as potentially more of a Roranoa Zoro character. He's, he's very uh, or, classic. Z- Zoro guy. And I was like, yes. And I actually really like that guy. Uh, I think he's, he's really all, cool. He's awesome. Yeah. So like anyway, rules, not, not a thing that I fell in love with, but Devendra, I'm glad I, I've heard that a lot of like anime fans, manga fans, mm-hmm. uh, manga fans are like, really digging this and i i think it's um worth checking out. i think it's like if you want to see what the big deal is i think the show offers a good window into that yeah. right it's so, also yeah. like inspiring me to finally dive into hundreds of episodes of one piece and i've tried before and it's very difficult so i think if that if that is the takeaway from an adaptation i think that's successful indeed yeah the, all right the buzz i was hearing was that it was going to be a, a massive failure because it's mm-hmm. impossible to adapt this thing yeah and there's no yeah. way they could do it and there's no way they could make it in live action and then everybody's like well that, they actually did it yeah, yeah, indeed, indeed. Well, that's One Piece on Netflix. It's something that Devinder Hardwar has been watching. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor. We'll be right back with more what we've been watching right after this. Hey, it's time for me to jump in here and tell you about our sponsor, First Leaf. I got to tell you, the best thing about First Leaf are the surprises. I'm surprised. Surprised, I tell you. I always knew I liked reds. I always knew I enjoyed a Pinot, a Cab, 
I guess I like rosés now because First Leaf knew what wines to send me that felt familiar, delicious, got me excited about trying new wines. And they, they sent me a rosé. I loved it. Didn't think I loved rosés. Did. Loved it. And I love First Leaf because they make it easy to get personalized wine deliveries on my schedule right to my door. And since I choose the day my shipment comes, I'm never stressing about missing a delivery. And every selection is backed by First Leaf's 100% satisfaction guarantee. I'm busy. I don't have time to worry about whether there's a big box of delicious wine sitting on my front doorstep uh, for days at a time when I, uh, I don't know about it. You can customize your First Leaf wine delivery date to fit your busy fall schedule. Another great thing about it being a member of First Leaf is that I get to avoid the overwhelming feeling I used to get in the aisles uh, of wine stores. Have you ever been in a wine store? There's a lot of wine there. Uh, I don't know anything <laughs> about anything. So I knew there had to be a better way to find wines that I would like. And that, my friends, is First Leaf. They match award-winning bottles to my tastes. So I get just right wines in every shipment. It's wine exploration without the guesswork. Just this week, my mother-in-law was in town. I shared with her some of the wines I got in First Leaf. Dazzled her with my uh, veritable sommelier-level wine knowledge. No, it's all a lie. First Leaf did it for me. I wowed my mother-in-law because First Leaf uh, did it for me. They picked out awesome wines. So give your palate what it really wants with First Leaf. Go to tryfirstleaf.com slash filmcast to sign up and you'll get your first six hand-curated bottles for just $44.95. That's T-R-Y-F-I-R-S-T-L-E-A-F dot com slash F-I-L-M-C-A-S-T. Tryfirstleaf.com slash filmcast. All right, Jeff Canada, what have you watched this week? I checked out um, a new documentary that has hit uh, Max, the one to watch for HBO, called BS High. Are you guys familiar with this documentary? No. This is uh, the story of the Bishop Sycamore High School, which it turns out was a massive scam. Uh, and it centers around the guy at the center of this scam. Uh, what happened was a couple of years ago, it's very recent actually, uh, ESPN televised a high school football game between Bishop Sycamore and IMG Academy. IMG Academy hmm. is a major uh, sort of a, a, a siphon school. What is it? What do they call it? A tunnel school? No. What is it? Funnel, funnel school? That's the one that sounds fake, by the way. IMG Academy. I know, right? Yeah. IMG Academy is real. They, uh, they specialize into, in getting high, uh, high caliber athletes and getting them into great division one colleges, uh, prepping them to get into the NFL. So mm -hmm. it's all about football. Uh, they are, they are one of the top high schools in the country. Um, and they tell as ESPN televised a game between IMG Academy, these like the best of the best in high school against this Bishop Sycamore Academy. And the game was a farce. It was, uh, they were completely outclassed. I think the final score was 58 to nothing. Um, and 
everybody was like, they started doing some research into this uh, Bishop Sycamore Academy and they realized it's not even a school. It, it wasn't anything. It was a complete scam, which is how the movie starts. This is how the documentary starts. And I thought, well, I've kind of heard everything here. Like this is, where do we go from here? Like you kind of start the movie in the first five minutes, you explain that much. And I, I thought to myself, well, that, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they pulled that off, I suppose. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, I feel like I've, I've heard all of the juicy bits. Boy, was I wrong. Because as this 90-minute documentary progresses, it ramps up the malfeasance. <laughs> Uh, it continues to get more and more outrageous, more and more galling, more and more uh, unbelievable. And the thing that is a, that, I, that I find so captivating about the story is that it is another example alongside the recent telemarketers, uh, uh, Max, the one to watch for HBO documentary. Um, and, you know, just the things that are happening in our world all around us, the phenomenon that depresses me, frankly, of, you know, the loss of shame in our world. Uh, hmm. I recently put on social media, you know, the, of all the things that have departed the earth in the 21st century, the one I'll miss the most is shame. And this documentary highlights where we are as a culture because what makes it so watchable, so compelling, and so frustrating is that the man at the center of this scandal is perfectly willing to sit down with these documentarians and spill it talk right into the camera and say it all say it straight out what he did how he ruined lives all the lies and the cheating and the it, it is unbelievable in the same way that, you know, we're, we're witnessing a, a former president, uh, uh, you know, multiple, multiple indictments, facing multiple indictments, still get on uh, interviews with major news networks and just say the things, mm -hmm. you know? Say all the things, yeah. Say all the things, just like, you know, further incriminate and, and not care. And that is where we are as a culture, is that there's just no shame in it. What used to be, a story like this used to be we reached out for that person for a statement, but they refused to talk to us. They were embarrassed about the fact that they had been caught. This dude thinks being caught is the best part of it. It is an extraordinary experience to watch BS High. It is galling. It is in the same way that telemarketers was. It is, it, 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 it is a progression of ever escalating uh, atrocities that you just can't believe and there's no there's no remorse there's no remorse and that's what's and and you know it's an indictment of the structure it's an indictment of the system it's an indictment you know it, it goes into the kids that were affected in their lives i think it's a a, a pretty well-made documentary and um i i recommend it i, I it, it is um you know it's an indictment of our of our world right now mm -hmm. uh, in its own way. Um, but it is absolutely amazing what people can get away with. And there are a number of, you know, I think the, the, the filmmakers do a great job of, um, 
getting really well-spoken experts to talk about what's happened. There's one guy in particular, I, I should have noted his name, who just so, like laser sharp dials in. He, he, is, he is somebody that, de that deals with uh, kids and, and in high school that want to be you know, professional athletes. And he is just so dialed in on exactly what's wrong with this, how it, you know, it, it, it's beautifully articulated and sort of laser focused. And I thought um, a, a pretty jarring uh, indictment of, of, our, of our culture. So BSI, mm -hmm. I recommend it. I, I would love to see them do something about the Kanye school too, because there's so many like fake schools that have been popping up lately, man. Yeah. And, and there's no, there's no oversight of that. There's no law yeah. that says you can't have a fake school. It's ridiculous. Uh, I'm looking forward to checking this out, Jeff. BS high on max, the one to watch for HBO, right? I think uh, you'll very much like it. Yeah. Love a good, love a good school scandal documentary, you know? So, yeah. uh, for sure. All right. That's something Jeff's been watching guys. I had a chance to watch for the very first time, the Texas chainsaw massacre. Congrats. Uh, this Great is movie. the 1974 horror film by Toby Hooper. Reason I watched this is because I I played a, uh, game of the Texas chainsaw massacre with some uh -huh. friends. And I had a blast. Like, like I should look into this leather face guy. wonder what he's yeah. up to. <laughs> well, you know, the game is really fun. Mm -hmm. uh, it's asymmetrical. Uh, multiplayer so what what happens is uh some people play as leatherface and his family and other people play as his victims and like if you're the victim you're trying to escape if you're the family you're trying to kill the victims and i have not you know the scream i scrumped gentlemen i have never screamed or yelped as loudly as when playing the texas chainsaw massacre i just had a great time uh barely escaping from leatherface many many in, in many many instances um and uh and I, and the game seems to be really reverential of the film right like mm -hmm. many of the design elements are borrowed from the film and you can tell just by playing the game they, they like, spend a lot of time recording uh chainsaw sounds too like just just <laughs> things to make it feel real yeah mm -hmm. are you being serious or are you joking with me I no i'm know. being serious like, oh yeah, there, yeah there's a lot I of like background it. stuff going around there i believe yeah. it yeah it's a, it's a really well done in terms of atmosphere yeah, also uh um Recorded Texas sounds. Uh huh. Uh huh. Just massacring entire families and massacre yeah. sounds, and also yeah, yeah. the sounds. Those are the most difficult. <laughs> those are the hardest to get. The definite article sounds. Um, yeah. You don't want to get any the sounds, just thes. So I had played the game, and I was like, okay, it's it's this is ridiculous. <laughs> it's like, about I, time. It's about yes. time I watch the actual movie. You know, I have not seen, have never seen this movie. I've seen many clips from it. I've seen it referenced many times. Uh, and watching the movie, it's. It still retains a lot of its power. Uh, I think there's so many cool things that come together to make this movie memorable. Specifically, the design of Leatherface and how messed up that whole his whole deal is. Um, but also, the thing that really surprised me is Marilyn Burns playing Sally Hardesty, uh, who mm -hmm. one of the original Scream Queens, one of the original Final Girls, and uh, her performance is just so. I want to say brave for lack of a better word. I mean, she kind of dominates the final third of the movie and I think she's amazing in it, but the movie is just really weird, right? There's just a lot of weird mm -hmm. elements to it. It's very off kilter. People speak in off kilter ways and there's just a bunch of weird design elements of like, why is that the way, you know, why is this here? Why is that the way it is there? Uh, it has a lot of character to it. And 
So I left this viewing really looking up to the film and understanding why it's been so influential. Um, people have tried to monetize the Texas Chainsaw Massacre in various ways over the years, including through a, um, a remake not too long ago that uh, wasn't very good from what I understand. The 2022, uh, there's a 2022 version. There's uh, like a 20. There's also a 2003, yeah. there's a 2003 version with by that was not bad. Yeah. Uh, but, but it is kind of, it feels like uh, Leatherface is kind of like the Terminator in some ways, where like that character's day has passed. Like there have been so many attempts to try to make that character work again. And most of them have been pretty unsuccessful, at, at least financially and, mm-hmm. and and certainly critically. So Th- this is um, a miracle of a movie, the first Texas Chainsaw mm-hmm. Massacre, because it's so low budget and so gritty and so yeah. like it just fe- it makes your skin crawl. It's wonderful. Yeah, and there's a, there's a few shots that are just incredible in this yeah. movie. It's like how wow, how did they achieve this? You know, it's it's really amazing what they're able to accomplish. So uh, uh, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, still a really solid horror film, and you know worthy of all the attention and respect that it deserves in my opinion so that's one thing i've been watching this week Devinder hardware hit us up with something else been watching well something also kind of horror related uh i saw el conde the latest movie from pablo lorraine um which yeah. just dropped just, on netflix just dropped on netflix yeah I heard, I heard about this yeah what do you think about this yeah i mean so first of all it's really weird that uh, lorraine is a notable guy at this point right the director of spencer the director of um Jackie, I think Jackie, right? Jackie as well. Like I love him. I love his work. Like it, they're always psychologically interesting and well acted and beautiful looking movies. It is weird that Netflix just kind of dropped this thing without much like fanfare. Uh, even like other critics who had seen this and loved it or like were surprised by that. It has a limited theatrical run, and honestly, I wish I could have seen this in a theater because it's a beautiful film. Um, the basic concept. I'm going to spell it right here because I think it 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 is the reason you would watch this thing is what if Augusto Pinochet, one of history's greatest monsters, was an actual monster? What if he was a vampire that was like 250 years old, just like making his way through the world, killing revolutionaries across, you know, different centuries and um, did everything he also did in in Chile, like uh, kill uh, thousands of people, um, stole a ton of money. But what if he was a vampire at the end of his life and he was just like tired of life? What if instead of actually dying when he did in the mid 2000s, you know, if he hid away somewhere and just tried to uh, try to either off himself or like do do something else as a vampire. This is a really it's a black comedy, as you can imagine. Um, this is a really weird and gruesome movie at times, but it is very interesting in the way that Lorraine's films uh, can be. Um, he is no stranger to like exploring the psychology of historical figures. I think trying to do that, uh, basically presenting Pinochet as a vampire, um, maybe doesn't unearth much about his humanity. But I think it's really interesting when you look at a guy who is, you know, yeah, historically famous for ruling Chile for a very long time and just being absolutely brutal about it. Uh, There's not much subtext here, like the parallels between, you know, a brutal dictator and a vampire, uh, you know literally eating his population and stealing money whenever he can. I think it's all right there, but I think it's, it's a really fascinating movie. It's a really interesting concept. There are also some scenes of, um, you know, of this character uh, just flying through the air, just flying through Chilean cities uh, as he goes around and massacres people and rips out their hearts and blends them up and drinks them like a smoothie. Um, This movie gets weird. It gets wild. um, But I think it's really fascinating. If you're a fan of Pablo Lorraine's work, I think it's definitely worth checking out. 
It's also funny because he did a movie called um, No in the early 2010s, which was also like uh, set in a crucial moment of the Pinochet rule as well, too. So like, you know, he's a Chilean filmmaker and he is doing what he knows. But clearly he has a lot of thoughts about this. This movie's on Netflix right now. Just go watch it. It's, It's pretty wild. Cool. That's El Conde. Uh, it sounds really interesting. I was not a fan of Spencer. Uh, mm. I thought it was... Um, I, I think you need to add a lot to the conversation if to, to justify making a movie about people that are still alive and like kind of and monetizing these people, you know, in the way that he did with that film. And I don't feel like it really added much to our understanding of Princess Diana. Um which is a topic I've spent a lot of time looking into in recent years mm-hmm. uh, because of The Crown. But uh, I'm glad to hear that with El Conde, he's trying something really wild and interesting. It's so definitely wild. I'll try to check yeah. it out yeah, on Netflix. Uh, Jeff Kanata, hit us up with something else you're watching. Well, uh, we got a, an email from a filmmaker by the name of Luke Higginson. Uh, and Luke uh, has about to release uh, a film and asked us to take a look at it. and. This is an independently produced, small-budget, sci-fi, time-traveling movie. And it stars Reese Darby from Flight of the Concords. These are all things I love. Nice. So I was all about checking out this movie. It's called Relax. I'm from the future. It's a sci-fi comedy, a kind of dark comedy, uh, starring, you know, an actor that Honestly, if you read the phone book, I think it would probably be hilarious. He's just b- brilliant. I love Reese Darby. Um, it co-stars uh, Gabrielle Graham, who is uh, also, I think, a revelation in this movie. She's fantastic. This is a very quirky, bizarre, big swing from a, I believe, first-time filmmaker. I think he made the the short uh, short of this and maybe one other movie. But, uh, you know, young filmmaker or, um, you know, early in their career filmmaker who doesn't have a ton of money to work with here. This is clearly a a small budget movie, but does a lot with a little and just takes big risks. It's it gets weird. It gets dark. It gets (laughs) interesting. I don't necessarily think everything works by the end. You know, there's some timey wimey stuff. That, yeah. you know, can you can kind of get ahead of your skis a little bit with the timey-wimey stuff and you start going, eh, eh, eh. But I give this movie tons of credit for how ambitious it is, how unabashedly weird it is, how goofy and fun it is. Uh, the idea here is that uh, Reese Darby plays a man from the future who shows up today and meets uh, sort of this this punky kind of um, um, not going anywhere with her life kind of woman. And she helps him out in a very casual way. And in return, he says, I have information from the future where you can just be wealthy for the rest of your days. I have, you know, all I have basically the sports almanac, you know, like Mm -hmm. uh, back to the future. I have all the information you could possibly need to uh, make as much money as you could ever want. The only thing that you have to do is, stay low like live you know live a a, an unremarkable life so nobody notices and she's like i can do that and then he starts kind of messing with stuff and things start spiraling from there but it is it moves in in these kind of unexpected ways it 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 
actually thought it was pretty fun. It's opening, I think, in limited release in the next week or so, and I'm sure yep. it'll be available to stream at some point. But if you want to support, you know, uh, movies that feel like a labor of love that are just kind of shooting for it and and being weird and not everything, it's not a home run in my opinion, but man, it is swinging for the fences. And I appreciated that about it. And I had a great time watching Relax, I'm from the Future. Yeah, I had a chance to check out this movie out too, Jeff. I, I, I saw oh, you watched well. it? Yeah, I watched it. Um, so I want to say a congrats to Luke for making a movie. You know, um, I really am at serious. The end of the at day, the end of, it's impressive. At the end of the day, that... it's impressive you made a movie. And also a movie with Reese Darby, him of Flight of the Concords and, and uh, Our Flag Means Death, you know. Mm -hmm. um, I have pr probably a pretty similar reaction to you, Jeff, to this movie. I think uh, it is, um, first of all, Reese Darby is great in it. If, if yes. you like Reese Darby and the energy Reese Darby puts out into the world, I think you're going to really enjoy Relax and From the Future. It's one of those things where I don't know that he wrote the movie for him, but I mm -hmm. wouldn't be surprised if he did. You know, right, like right. It, you just can't imagine any other actor in that part, right? Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I think it's a really weird movie. I think it's like it, it goes in these really weird random directions that um, that, you know, even to this moment, as I'm reflecting on it, still feel odd to me. You know, um, I don't think when the movie begins, you, you, you can predict where the movie is going to end in any way. Agreed. Really. Uh, and one can say that that's a strength of the movie, but I don't know. Like, it felt like I was. You know, it's good if a movie is like ahead of you, right? Like it's good if you're if the audience is trying to like catch up to the movie, but like I don't know, this felt like it veered so wildly back and forth between these different ideas and tones. It felt like they had a bunch of ideas that they kind of wanted to put into the film, and I don't know that every single one of them connects. That said, there's enough fun twists and surprises in the final act uh that i was like oh okay like there's there's some really cool stuff some, some really cool ideas in this movie so anyway um I, i'm kind of right there with you jeff you know i don't think it was a home run but it's it's an extremely respectable uh debut feature and it has many of the things that we love in it so uh relax i'm from the future is the name of the film it'll be out in limited release and again congrats to luke and thanks to luke for listening to this podcast yeah really thanks for reaching out to us and uh, making us aware of your movie we're rooting for it all right, that's something else Jeff Kanata's been watching. Let's take a quick break for a sponsor. We'll be right back with more of what we've been watching right after this. All right, guys. It's time for uh, the return of everyone's favorite segment, Dave's B-Movies. Dave's B-Movies, B-Movies, Dave's B-Movies. The movies that he wanted to see earlier, but he could in theaters, and now they're out of video on demand. Again, not the definition of a B-movie, but okay. Now, I, I know what you're thinking, because last time on this podcast, we had a big debate uh, about what constitutes a B-movie, right? And, you know, the the opinion from Jeff and Devendra was that the movies I was submitting were, were just low to mid-budget genre movies and not necessarily what would qualify as B-movies in the original conception and definition. Now, uh, and, and the, the, uh, the detente that we arrived at was <laughs> I will describe the movie. And then if Devendra and Jeff believe it's a B movie at that point, I can play the theme song. Now I know what you're wondering. Well, David, didn't you just, yeah, you didn't just, you just the violate, <laughs> didn't you just violate the, we terms laid down of that the law treat? and you broke it. 
violate the terms of that treat that 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 tentative peace? Didn't you just violate the terms? The, um, literally the the first time that the peace was going to be in effect. That's well, the first here's opportunity the you had. <laughs> well, here's the thing, Jeff Kanata. Um, I chose the only movie <laughs> for which there can be no argument that it is a me movie, <laughs> because the movie that I watched this week was B movie. The Dave's B movies, Dave. <laughs> you gotta hit the same theme song right after you announce it. There you go. Dave's B movies. <laughs> okay, it's okay. We don't need to, we don't need to listen to it again. Um, but uh, thanks to Noah Ross for that theme, that seems theme bumper. But yes, Jerry Seinfeld's B movie. Not a B movie. <laughs> but it okay. is. It is by definition a B movie. <laughs> um, because the name is B movie. Anyway, Jerry Seinfeld. That, that is not the substance of the song you're singing, sir. But okay, um, okay. Car- carry on. I carry don't. On. I, I, you know, who's to yeah. say? Who's to say? I believe in the death of the author, and you know, it could very well mean mean mm-hmm. uh, that. Okay, but I watched the 2007 DreamWorks animation film B movie starring Jerry Seinfeld, just so I could talk about it on this episode of the podcast in this segment, guys. That is. The only reason Brilliant. I watched this movie. This is uh, my first classic, time watching One of the classic Chen trolls. Mm-hmm. This is one of my first... And I want to thank David Cho for this recommendation. Um, but this is the uh, the first time that I've seen B-Movie. Have you guys ever seen the 2007 film B-Movie? Not all of it. I don't believe no. I have. I'm going to say this is one of the most batshit insane <laughs> movies I've ever seen in my life. Um, I'm going to describe the plot of B-Movie in like a couple sentences, but but the plot revolves around Jerry Seinfeld who plays a B character. He's like a worker B. And he graduates from B high school, whatever the fuck. And he then uh, <laughs> decides, uh, like, you know, uh, he's presented what the job opportunities are in the B world. And it's like, hey, you get to work as a, you know, in the high for the rest of your life. And he says, well, I don't want to do that. You know, I want to go out and be part of the world. And so one day he escapes and meets Renee Zellweger, who is a human woman, falls in love with Renee Zellweger. Fair. He, Jerry Seinfeld playing a bee, falls in love with Renee Zellweger. So then there's like a part of the movie that's about their courtship where he's like in love with Renee Zellweger. And while they're at the market one day, he realizes that uh, there's honey being sold at the supermarket. And so he says, hey, What's going on? Humans are profiting off of uh, the work of bees? That's unacceptable. So then he decides to sue the entire human race, and then the movie becomes a courtroom drama about humans taking advantage of bee labor. And if it sounds like I'm having a stroke, I assure you, I'm not. That's that's literally the plot of the movie. What's and the deal with the plot of this movie? I think I can best describe the quality of B-movie using the words of Jerry Seinfeld himself, who said at the time that the movie came out, quote, I remember standing in the back of the theater and it wasn't great, but it was decent. And I remember listening to the laughs and thinking, these laughs are shit. That was not worth it, end quote. (laughs) And that was the last movie Jerry Seinfeld ever made. (laughs) He made that movie right around the time when uh, Seinfeld, the show was wrapping up. And, uh, and so he, like, he was promoting the hell, he was like on, you know, uh, talk, late night talk shows. And I think he ziplined into Cannes Film Festival in a B costume, if I recall oh, correctly. The, that movie is straight up 10 years after the end of Seinfeld. Let's just be clear here. 
Fair enough. Is that true? Yeah. Seinfeld ended in 98. Okay, you're right. So, <laughs> if we're, if we're uh, going to stretch the meaning yeah. of B movie now, <laughs> no more historical erasure, okay? That's, I, I apologize for that, Dimitri. You, that is a fair call out. That is a fair call out. Um, but, but he was uh, definitely, I remember his, uh, his promoting this. Like, he was everywhere. Yeah, yeah. That's, I, I, I don't he know why. He wrote this movie, you know? Yeah, I don't know why I read that, Dimitri. That's my bad. I feel bad about that. Um, <laughs> so, uh, there is also a piece at the New Yorker or the New York magazine called, um, a complete history of B movies, many many memes, because uh, this uh-huh. movie has become a meme. I don't know if you guys know this. Yeah, uh, it's it basically, and one of my favorite elements of the meme is people pasting the entire script of B movie in random places. So I'm going to read from the article here. In 2013, a Tumblr user uploaded screenshots of her Facebook friend posting the entire script of B movie on someone's Facebook wall. This trick, which would cause the unwitting victim's phone to crash, quickly became a standard internet prank, thanks in large part to the efforts of pastebin user Kiduyuto, who uploaded the entire script to the site. It would go on to wreak havoc across a number of platforms over the course of the next two years, reaching its zenith in 2015 when the Facebook page... When the Facebook page Bees Don't Exist posted the entire B-movie script as a life event, end quote. Yeah. In my day, we called this wind nuke, but okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and if that sentence made any sense to you, <laughs> as it did to me, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> I feel sorry if you understood everything I just said. I mean, this movie um, d- definitely like uh, predicted the insanity of our modern meme culture, right? A movie that doesn't make sense gets uh, transformed into something n- completely nonsensical moving forward. Like, yeah, it all clicks. That's yeah, culture. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, it's kind of very Shrek-like in, in that way. You know, like... Shrek has become a meme. B movie has become a meme, um, and uh, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm looking at a video of Seinfeld in a B costume at IMDb at the Cannes Film Festival. He's flying over the Cannes Film Festival. What's the thing? It feels like every 20 minutes they decided to change what this movie was about. Um, it's amazing. In fact, like the the opening of the movie really begins like Ants, right? The uh, DreamWorks animation film starring Woody Allen, where I think he like doesn't want to be a worker ant in that movie. And and he's like, I don't, but then it's like, it's almost like they started making the same movie and they realized, wait a second, we, the folks at DreamWorks Animation have already made a movie like this. We've got to change tack and make Jerry Seinfeld fall in love with a human woman uh, instead. And then they just kind of went from there to, to other areas of exploration. So one of the most bizarre movies I've ever seen not what I would describe as in any way good, but, but it is very odd. Demonstrates the lengths David will go to justify his theme song. That's right. But it is very odd. It is unique. And it is unequivocally a B movie. Okay. <laughs> I I rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> Devendra Hardwar, what have you watched this week? You know, I'm I'm cutting something I was going to talk about because we spent so much time on B movie. Um, I want to shout <laughs> to you guys uh, that uh, Star Trek: Strange New Worlds season two. Uh, it's it was airing over the past few months. I'm finally catching up with my wife. This show is incredible. Some good good stuff. And I'm just saying this to uh, tell certain people who may have turned the show off when Spock was having sex at the beginning of the first episode <laughs> that um. AKA you, I think you're just talking about you, right? Was that you or was that Jeff? That was Jeff. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's talking to me. Hot Sexy Spock is is a thing, but also this show is incredible. When we talk about, um, you know, the ideal of Star Trek, something that represents a sort of like bold vision, a progressive world, um, really interesting ideas, while also being like a fun sci-fi show, um, 
I think Strange New Worlds has just like figured out the Star Trek formula so, so well. Uh, in particular, one episode, the second season, the second episode of this season, I think is one of the best TV episodes ever made. Whoa. It is just an okay. incredibly, it turns into a courtroom drama where I, I won't spoil too much, but uh, a, an essential element of bigotry that the Federation is guilty of um, is debated in this episode. I think it's just so well-written, well-shot. It feels like I'm watching, you know, like, like an actual courtroom drama because uh, it is ultimately a trial. Um I think it says a lot about the world of Star Trek and like the the beliefs of like where it came from and, you know, uh, how even a seemingly perfect society can have these uh, symptoms of, uh, I don't know, discrimination and how it's almost like you can't escape it when it comes to humanity. Uh, I think that episode is fantastic, but also everything that comes after it is just a lot of fun, too. Like they are playing with time. They're playing with the... Um, I just watched one where people are just like losing their memory really quickly. So it's like they land on a planet and they forget why they're there or who they even are within like 30 seconds. It's having a lot of fun with the serialized format of Star Trek. And I like these characters. I like Anson Mount and his beautiful, big, handsome head. Um, and he makes a good Star Trek captain. The only thing I will say is that they did recast Kirk in the season and uh, not a good Kirk. Mm. I think it's a shame because maybe because Anson Mount plays uh, Captain Pike and he Pike has a lot of Kirky elements, right? So you can't have somebody out. You can't have a Kirk and a Pike at the same time. It just kind of doesn't work. So the Kirk that they choose is like, um, no offense to this actor, but it's just like a zero charisma dude, mm. you know, just like no yeah, you, you energy. You can't have him detracting from yeah. what Anson Mount's bringing. So exactly. Yeah. I yeah. think that's ultimately what happens. So it's like, imagine not Topher Grace. But somebody giving great Topher Grace energy without much fun or enthusiasm uh, playing, you know, Captain Kirk, um, I, I was not a fan. I think that's the biggest weak point of the season. But other than that, it is good Star Trek. It gets your mind racing. Um, the characters are really strong. It looks very good. Once again, um, you may have heard about certain crossover things that happen in the season. It's just super creative. And the show really knows what it's doing. And it's not beholden to like a major you know multi-season arc as something like star trek discovery was or even picard um so yeah for star trek heads if you feel betrayed by picard and the other shows if you, if you couldn't look past sexy spock the show even comments on sexy spock being sexy um i think it's worth watching it's one of the best things on tv right now so check out strange new world season two all righty uh Devendra, I do think we have two minutes for you to talk about this I, other thing. I just want to say two minutes. Two yeah. minutes. Yes. I have been catching up on Ahsoka, the Star Trek series. And when we talked about the first two episodes, not really a fan. Uh, I just blasted through episodes three, four, and five. And oh, man, like, did, did it just like unlock all the Star Wars-ness of it all? There are lightsabers. There are dogfights. There's swelling music as, uh, you know, space fighters are moving between space whales. And it just feels so energetic and so much fun. So... If you felt like if you felt we were a little down on Ahsoka at the beginning, um, I certainly was like I, it took me weeks to catch up. Um, I'm really glad I caught up and it's only going to be eight episodes, too. But I think episodes three, four and five really get things moving, gets the blood pumping. You got Ray Stevenson being incredible in the show, too. So I'm really glad I caught up. Uh, it certainly gets to a much more fun place than those first two episodes. All right. Well, that is what we have been watching today. Uh, let's get to a few weekly plugs uh, before we move on. And I just realized, you know, I had to take down 
all the clips that I had uh, for last week's episode because I had to load it up with all those summer movie wager clips. But there you go. Okay, barely got that in there. Weekly plugs, the part of the show each week where we plug something else we've been making. I want to give a big shout out to my free newsletter that everyone should subscribe to called Decoding Everything. Uh, have a piece up this week from a Filmcast listener named uh, Stephen David Miller, who wrote about the five best films that he saw at the Toronto International Film Festival this week. Um, it's a great piece. There's a lot there to look forward to. You know, these are the movies that we'll be hearing about for the next six to 12 months. And so uh, check it out, decodingeverything.com. If you want to know what people are going to be talking about, Check it out at decodingeverything.com. And again, this is a piece by Stephen David Miller about the best films at the Toronto International Film Festival. Devinder Hardwar, hit us up with your weekly plug. Sure. I want to tell people to check out the last two episodes of the Engadget podcast. The Apple event, the iPhone event was last week. So we did two episodes where we dove into uh, first the initial announcement of the iPhone 15 and 15 Pro and the new Apple Watch, and then like some hands-on thoughts. So go check it out. We have some on-the-ground experience with those things, and I'm looking forward to playing with the 15 Pro in person. Kanata Jeff. Where, what is your weekly plug? I want to tell you about the latest episode of the DLC podcast, my video game podcast. We had a guest friend of the show, Danish Syed, on uh, talking with us. And if you were intrigued hearing about Dave discuss the Texas Chainsaw Massacre video game and how he screamed like a wee child, uh, get the other side of the story because Danish was playing with them and recounts uh, that very anecdote on our <laughs> show DLC. Yes. Uh, also, but he was Leatherface. And I was uh, one of the victims. So, you know, yeah. it's uh, it's good fun. Plus, a really interesting episode. Uh, Christian Spicer got hands on with Marvel Spider-Man 2. Uh, we talk about Mortal Kombat 1 and just in a massive week of news with a Nintendo Direct, a Sony State of Play and Unity completely upending the industry uh, in a boneheaded move. So lots of juicy stuff to talk about. Uh, DLC episode 513 at DLCpod.com. All right, we are going to take one final break for a sponsor. We'll be back with uh, our review right after this. All right, folks, before we get to our review, I do also want to mention that if you want to support the podcast, patreon.com slash film podcast, where you can sign up for ad-free episodes and exclusive After Darks. This week, we'll be revealing the mystery of the movie that Dan Trachtenberg incessantly recommended to Jeff Kanata. So tune in to find out what that is and hear us talk about that film. We never want anyone to donate if it in any way causes you financial hardship. Uh, you can always support us for free. Uh, go to Instagram.com slash TheFilmCastPod. Share one of our videos. It gets it. Th- if you share it, it'll get it hundreds, thousands of views. More people find out about us. It's a huge help. So thanks to everyone who's sharing about uh, our videos, our reels over on Instagram.com slash TheFilmCastPod. Of course, you can also leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts or wherever uh, you get your podcasts. Thanks to everyone who supports this podcast in some way. Let's get to our review of Bottoms. We were just practicing for a self-defense club. So it's like a fight club? Yes. Just stay in your lane until you're munching Beavert Wesleyan. Yes, sir. What's your plan here? Jeff is psychotic, and they're picking on the weak and defenseless. So we teach a bunch of girls how to defend themselves. They are grateful to us. Adrenaline is flowing. Next thing you know, Isabel and Brittany are kissing us on the mouth. You can be our club advisor. You know, my mom did say I need to pick up a hobby. Welcome to our fucking fight club. Let's get it popping in this motherfucker. 
Welcome to the Filmcast review of Bottoms. I'm going to read the plot summary of this movie from IMDb. Two unpopular queer high school students start a fight club to have sex before graduation. And quote, that old chestnut. Joining us today for our review of Bottoms, she is a writer and editor at SlashFilm.com and co-host of the This Ends at Prom podcast, which is a coming-of-age show for films about or marketed towards teen girl audiences. BJ Colangelo, welcome to the Filmcast. Hello. Thank you for having me. That is a unique Venn diagram that fits perfectly (laughs) for what we're talking about. This is why our listeners have been screaming for the last two months. When are you going to talk about Bottoms? Did you manifest this movie, BJ? I feel like. (laughs) When I first saw the synopsis of this movie, I was like, oh, so somebody has been sneaking into my house and giving my diaries to Emma Seligman because this is all I've ever wanted. We are so thrilled to have you here, BJ. Uh, I've really enjoyed a lot of uh, BJ's work over at SlashFilm.com as well as on the Slash Film show. Uh, but let's talk about Bottoms. Uh, you know, obviously uh, a movie that feels like it falls squarely within your interest, BJ, but I am curious overall, what did you think of the movie? So admittedly, I was terrified that I wasn't going to like this movie because it does hit so many intersections of what I like. I really love the director because Shiva Baby was one of my favorite movies the year that it came out. I love teen stories. I love subversive teen stories and raunchy comedies and sex comedies. And I'm a lesbian in identity and in practice. So getting to have that in a movie is all I've ever wanted. And I'm so fortunate and thankful that this is exactly as I expected it to be. It is hilarious. It is subversive. It is very uncomfortable for a lot of people. I think that queer cinema needs to uh, scare the straights a little bit more. And I feel like Bottoms does that in in, in tenfold. Can you say a little bit more about that? Queer cinema needs to scare the straights a little bit more. Just curious what you mean by that. I mean, I don't I don't disagree. I'm just curious uh, if you can elaborate on that. And hey, by the way, if you don't already have those T-shirts made up, you need to make those. (laughs) Scare the straights. Yeah, I really should. I've been really slacking on my my brand merchandising. (laughs) Yes. Um, But the way that I look at it is when you look at the history of queer cinema, so much of it is subversive. It was controversial. And, you know, I am a, a... person who worships at the altar of filmmakers like John Waters like that is very much where I come from and that is not you know family friendly (laughs) in any way shape or form Uh, but what has happened is that in the in the uh, the push for assimilation culturally um, we've also started to see that reflected in our artwork and queer art has become extremely sanitized Uh, studios have realized oh you can appeal to the four quadrants with queerness so let's do that but unfortunately that means it's a very specific type of queerness It's extremely white, very palatable, uh, very friendly, a very gender affirming type of queerness. And while that definitely has value um, because it does help a lot of younger viewers see themselves earlier than they would, which is great. um, It is unfortunately kind of pushed away and scared people off from wanting to make these really edgy queer stories with messy queer characters who are making mistakes and being awful because spoiler alert some queer people are terrible and we're allowed <laughs> to be terrible mm-hmm, mm-hmm. uh well i i would agree that uh, there's a whole range of of quality of people in the movie divinder hardwar curious about your thoughts on bottoms 
Oh, yeah. I absolutely love this movie. Also really Doug Shiva, baby. Um, but I was not prepared for the tone yeah. of this movie, which I think yeah. the marketing didn't quite make clear. Like, it is very much... It feels like in the John Waters wheelhouse at times, but also in the very like tonally zany and wacky stuff. Like it is a very, it's a very kooky movie. And I kind of love that. And I, I walked into this thing, not expecting it. I was actually able to take my wife and she's also a huge fan of all the John Waters stuff. So like, I think this was like a fun thing for us to watch together. It feels like a mishmash of Heather's um, Fight Club, of course, and, uh, and Jennifer's Body which is a movie mm. that I think was kind of like panned when it came out mm-hmm. and has been reassessed as, as a sort of like, you know, queer commentary thing that I think is really well done. I like that movie a lot. Um, I think this movie is hilarious. It continues uh, Iowa DeBeery's incredible year. Rachel Sennett uh, continues to be fantastic. I love everybody involved in here. Um, also feel like I appreciate like um, many of the dudes knew, know exactly the tone to hit for just how silly this movie can be. So, you know, I just, I appreciate it. Like everybody's firing in all cylinders. Um, Marshawn, great stuff. Uh, I have thoughts on the ending, which is where I think this movie could have gone really far and been like almost, well, almost revolutionary, or at least try to say something more. And I was a little let down by like where things end up, but we'll dive into that. Yeah. Uh, I will admit I was very skeptical uh, that I could believe uh, Ao Edibiri as a uh, high school student after I had just seen her try to open one of the highest end restaurants in Chicago on the Bear. Uh, but high school then, students are doing that all the time, Dave. <laughs> all the time. But then, then I started watching the movie. The way I described it, which not everyone needs to agree with, is I said it was like if not another teen movie uh, was shot like an 80s slasher film. You know, like that's kind of <laughs> how I would describe the tone personally. Is like the vibes I got off of it. Uh, and I love I think, both of those things, by the way. I'm, I'm a not another teen movie defender. Uh, <laughs> the only one I know. It's a, it's a very lonely club, but I really enjoy that. Movie. I mean, you love okay. it so much, you've never mentioned it on the show, Dave. So. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Wow. One of Dave's been, touchstones that he never brings up. In <laughs> any, you just watch it every night. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Devendra calling out, uh, you know, calling out my behavior by referring to things yeah. that I've actually calling out twenty years of history between me and David <laughs> Chen. Yes, yes. I did a, I did like a Twitch, like uh, when um, Prime Video launched uh, the ability to like do a watch party. I did like a live Twitch stream where I watched and commented on. This is at the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that was unfortunately not a film cast. I, you know, I didn't invite you guys because here's the thing: not very many people like that movie. And also because you never invite us to anything. <laughs> that's that's yeah. so true. Jeff Kanata, your thoughts on Bottoms? Well, Dave, I guess you could say my thoughts on Bottoms are best summed up in the form of a limerick. You know, Jeff, I, I think uh, we might need to just explain to BJ what this bizarre ritual you're partaking. Oh my goodness! In. Yes, yeah, I have to apologize to you, BJ, because. <laughs> what is about to happen is not pleasant for any of us. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Dave, he rules this podcast with an iron <laughs> fist. His will, his insatiable thirst for limericks means that it falls on me every single week to write a limerick and, and say it on the show, or he has vowed he will mm-hmm. not only leave the show, he will destroy it from within. And, See, and oh, wow. I believe that because Dave is an incredibly intimidating presence. Yes. So. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. In I'm fact, so that glad was you sarcastic. I don't know how I feel about that, but okay. All right, go ahead. I'm Jeff. so glad somebody else senses the pressure that Devendra and I are under every single week. Uh huh. Uh huh. All right. Here's my limerick for bottoms. 
The humor is a kick in the crotch. And both leads in the film are top-notch. But the tone is uneven and left me believing it was more fun to make than to watch. Mm. So Jeff Canella, think, not as big of a fan of this. I'm movie. not as big of a fan. Here, here's the thing. I, I, I want to preface this by saying this movie wasn't made for me. Uh, I'm old. <laughs> this I think this I I certainly didn't uh didn't dislike my experience watching it. I just don't think it was hitting for me in the way it would hit for someone who is 20 years younger than I am. Uh I you know my generation it was clueless and dazed and confused, you know. And and Heathers, Jeff Heathers is right there. Yeah, Heathers was a little Blowing earlier. Let's up. be honest, a little Amazing. earlier than me, Devendra, yeah. a little earlier. Uh, but uh, <laughs> right after my generation, it was American Pie. Like mm -hmm. that was a little too late for me. Uh, and then like Super Bad. Right, this movie is in that pantheon of a movie that I think if you're in high school and you watch this, it's talking about stuff you are experiencing every single day. It's it's. It, it it's um lampooning the people in your world these aren't the people in my world right i'm not seeing the you know the the high school jock and the the hot girl and the, you know all those sort of high school things i'm removed from that enough that while i remember it this movie is speaking to the generation that's going through it now and i applaud that like i think I fully recognize that this could be my favorite movie if I was in high school right now. Or, you know, it's probably a lot of high schoolers going to see this are like, oh, this is the movie I'm going to quote. I'm going to watch it over and over. I'm going to love it. It, it. it doesn't resonate like that for me. That doesn't mean it's a bad movie. It's just I'm sort of ill-equipped to uh, comment on it. For me, I found... All of the things that Devendra just lauded about the movie, I found to be uh, it kind of not not work well. For example, I think that our two leads, who I love as actors, I also loved Shiva Baby. Um, I think they're both superstars that are going to have long, interesting careers, and they are in a different movie than some of the other people in this movie. Some of the other people in this movie are in, and I know I'm using the term that we have been uh, advised not to use. A cartoon. Uh, they are in a car. I don't mean that as a derogatory term. We need to set term. off like alarm bells whenever, whenever that <laughs> word is yeah. right now. I love cartoons. That yeah. is not too, uh, that is not a pejorative. For, yeah, for some, for some background, uh, one of our listeners who was a cartoonist wrote into the film cast at, at one point and was like, how dare you? I don't yes. like you using cartoon in a dismissive or pejorative fashion, but Jeff, that, I, I Jeff hasten to add. right into it anyway. That is not, that is not the intent. <laughs> I just think it's totally fine to be in a movie that is, uh, big and winky winky and kind of you know doing large gags and stuff but i just don't think the entire movie is there sometimes some characters are there and others are not and to me that didn't mesh well uh in my in viewing the movie i i was much more interested in the movie that our leads are in because that felt like a more grounded realistic movie and they keep bumping into people that are larger than life that are mm two-dimensional that are um i felt to be uh very much winking at the camera and very aware that they were mugging and doing a goof mm -hmm. and it just didn't work for me particularly that said there's some really fun stuff in this movie i love marshawn uh i you know th there's 
there's enough here that I would recommend people checking it out. And if you're in that, you know, age range or near near it, I'm sure this is going to feel like your generation's that movie. Uh, and I think that's pretty cool that they've made that. And it is this subversive and and weird and quirky. Like, I like I like that about it. It's just not a movie that I fell in love with. I think that's totally fair, Jeff. Uh, I had a really interesting experience because I spent the first like 20 minutes of this film trying to figure out what exactly the tone was. And it took me a while to really understand, oh, they're just going way over the top. Now, uh, I do understand. I, I think you're right that the main characters aren't really that, but I think like literally mm -hmm. the rest of the world is right. Like everything, all the other components are to, to uh, an extreme extent where the, the way the school is built you know, the the art on the walls of the school, right. the fact mm -hmm. that there's a cage in the classroom and so on. Like, it all is is like, it's all unremarked upon, you know? And it's this really, right. uh, it's rare that a movie will take a swing like this where it's just like, hey, we're gonna make a world that is, is a wildly exaggerated version of the real world that has no real basis in reality uh, and try to tell a somewhat serious story about it. For me, it worked, but I completely understand. Like, if mm -hmm. you're not on the movie's wavelength, like I, I get like why it's not gonna gonna work, and I get why. Yeah, the two leads kind of not being in in the rest of the movie would would be clashing. You know what I mean? It, um, it makes sense. First of all, by the way, this is a very anti Jeff movie. So I I see Jeff. This is very <laughs> anti Jeff. Like, wait, wait, Jeff wait! Don't do that to me. What movie. what does that mean? This is Jeff is the villain of this movie. Jeff. Oh, well. Yes. Oh, but the other one, Jeff. Yes. Yes. His name is Jeff. Yes. Yeah. But the other. I love that about it. I just didn't think the actor playing Jeff. He's great. I love. I love him. Like he's. Uh. But what you have you have not seen Jeff? You have not seen Red, White, and Royal Blue. Oh yeah. Because if you had, you would think that this performance is incredible. Okay. Anyway, go ahead. It's more like it's more like um um um. Oh God! What's the Tom Hanks movie? Um, big, big, no, no, sleepless in Seattle. <laughs> no, Castaway. No, but, but keep going. This is Captain delightful. Phillips. Joe versus uh, the volcano. Joe versus the volcano. It's, it's like Joe versus the volcano yes. where the world is an abstraction, uh, that is meant to highlight how bizarre our, the experience of being in our world is bizarre. Mm, yeah. And so the world yes. as represented is bizarre. That, that is the point I'm going to make. Like being yeah. somebody who yeah. doesn't fit in to high school and going through the American high school system feels like madness. It feels insane. Like the way schools treat, uh, jocks, which is still yeah. a thing, you mm -hmm. know, it's still a thing. And if you are, if you are not like part of the majority group or the class majority group, like it, it, it feels like an alien world to go to school. So I, I felt that during high school and that movie feels like it's reflecting that. Yeah. yeah and part totally. of the, the tonal shifts too is because there's three separate layers of teen movie tropes happening at one time in th there's the fact that this movie, well, all teen movies are both time capsules and fantasy films. Uh, that is a thing that we talk about a lot on our podcast. Uh, this ends at prom where teen movies are trying to exactly what you said, hit what is cool right now, speak to what the generation is doing right now. They have zero interest in, in being a timeless classic. So they're hitting what's cool now. So they become really interesting reflections of the society at the time. That's really cool. But at the same time, they're fantasy films because they are living in this heightened reality of the American high school experience. So you've got those tropes playing. At the same time, this movie is taking what is often subtextual 
in high school movies and making it textual. Yes, the school really is that obsessed with the quarterback and will bend over backwards to appease them in whatever way they can. They do genuinely hate the weird queer kids that much and are just annoyed by their existence. We're making it textual. So you've got that going on. But then the biggest thing is that the the Heather's comparison, I definitely see. It's absolutely there. But this movie has so much more DNA sharing with screwball teen sex comedies like uh, like a Porky's, like a mm-hmm. Meatballs, like a Last American Virgin even, uh, than it does any of the teen movies that we typically see that star or about girls. This is a very like sex boy sort of Mm. approach to it and then that makes things feel very weird because a lot of these familiar archetypes or like we know how this person's going to behave they don't behave in that way and we're not used to seeing it so it is a wild adjustment um i've seen this movie three times now and the first time i had to go through that adjustment phase of like what is the tone what is happening here the second time i like really let myself live in this world i enjoyed myself and the third time i became a scientist and it was like oh i see exactly what's going on here this is pulling from this decade of teen movies this is pulling from you know the 90s this is pulling from the 80s and how it's all coming together with a very gen z approach to comedy and so I get why it feels kind of chaotic, but also we are like the most ADHD generation possible. I'm not even in Gen Z. I'm a, I'm a millennial, but we're all very ADHD. So there's something really nice that just like itches a part of my brain when I watch this movie because there's so much happening at once. It's true. It's true. Yeah. You're never bored watching the film, in my opinion. So, uh, but yeah, I, I also... Uh, quite enjoyed the film and found it to be really amusing. And it, it's really the two leads that that anchor the whole thing for me. I think they just have great chemistry with each other. Uh, and as you hinted at, BJ, they do terrible things and are kind of oblivious to that for most of the film's runtime. And uh, there's something really refreshing about characters that uh, don't, like the movie doesn't feel the need to defend in any way, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh and and doesn't feel the need to moralize about. So anyway, I, I had a great time with Bottoms, but there's a few other topics to discuss. So uh, anything else before we get to spoilers? Otherwise, let's hit it. Here we go. Uh, let's do spoilers for Bottoms starting right now. I thought up an ending for my book. It makes no damn sense. Compels me, though. I didn't come here to tell you how this is going to end. When I buy a new book, I always read the last page first. That way, in case I die before I finish, I know how it ends. You can't handle the truth! Inconceivable! I came here to tell you how it's going to begin. Devinder Hardware, I think you had brought up that you were Mm -hmm. a little bit unsatisfied with Bottoms' ending, and I'm curious uh, if you could elaborate on that. I think this is a movie that was building up to being like, this, this is going to be a great battle or something between the outcasts and the jocks, right? And at some point, I think it's when they go uh, visit their their queer spiritual guide, right? Where it's like, s- somehow the takeaway is, oh, we got to protect these these boys from the other team because they're evil. And I'm like, what? I don't, I don't care about this other team really. Why should they care about the school's goal of defeating the other team, no matter how mad they may be. So I feel like there is some weird through line there that maybe was erased in some other scenes, or it almost feels like it feels almost like responding to notes. Like you gotta, you gotta at least be kind, like show some humanity for the jocks somehow. So that part just didn't quite 
strike through to me. And I feel like I can understand the the finale being like a pretty low budget affair, right? It's not a big crowd. There's like not too much happening. Like this is not a big budget movie, but I feel like the messaging just got really unclear by the end for me, at least. I actually really appreciated the, how creepy it was that there was no crowd like that. Right, that they right. really did a good job of like one side. <laughs> That's like my is, high school. Is, yeah. <laughs> one side is completely packed and the other side has no crowd. And it's mm-hmm. like, there's something just feels really off about that. That's funny um, because they, the idea is that their home, the other crowd knew that they were going to yes. murder everyone. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they didn't want to BJ, I'm curious, like what, what you thought about the ending. I, I kind of agree with Devendra that the, uh, it does get a little bit muddled for me where, you know, um, uh, Josie visits her kind of mentor character. Mm-hmm. And then that, that was kind of where I was like, who is this person? Why do we care about what they have to say? And like, that was kind mm-hmm. of where it went a little bit off the rails for me. Um, what do you think, BJ? So for me, the Rhodes character is the, this is the prototype that you see in a lot of teen movies where you have to have a random inspirational monologue. Usually yeah. it's from a dad in a bathrobe, uh, but this time it's not, which I quite enjoy, um, where it feels very out of place, but it's a scene everybody talks about. Um, so to have that in here and present it in this way, I appreciate. Uh, but the ending for me, it, this is where the movie feels the most Gen Z for me, because why the the click nature of high school really hasn't changed um it has evolved in a way that is very different than what we're used to seeing in films even into the aughts where there is this semblance of like we do have to work together we do need to have solidarity we do have to do what is right um so the fact that even though the football players have been horrific to them this entire movie they deserve nothing they deserve nothing there's still this like obligatory sense of like we gotta do the right thing and help them and there's also this like Mm -hmm. you know background thought of we humiliated these girls we need to do right by them and the easiest way to do right by them is to get them back in the good graces of our community and the best way to do that is to save the football players because they are untouchable gods so if we help them everyone's going to be back on our side. So like I get the mindset behind it, but it does also feel a little after school, specially, which kind of Mm -hmm. feels like the point where it's like, no, like fuck these guys. They don't deserve (laughs) anything good. If somebody (laughs) at the end had been like, Hey, why did we do this? Like never apologize. I don't know. If there had been some kind of ironic detachment from it, maybe it would have uh, gone down a little bit easier. Yeah, I think so. I think that would have been helpful because there's also so many little things that further that to me, like when they identify the one friend as being a black Republican and she's like, you may be a black Republican, but you're the smartest person I know. (laughs) So they're even acknowledging like, we don't see eye to eye on these things, but I do need your help in this situation. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, are there any other kind of memorable things in the film that that stick out to folks? You know, because I think this is one of those movies where it's like, oh, you'll there's there's a lot of great surprising or shocking moments, and I do feel like uh, we should take a little bit of time mm-hmm. to talk about some of them. So, uh, BJ, anything like stick out for you? Any moments stick out for you in this movie? I'm obsessed with uh, the subplot of Hazel and Hazel's mom, um, of Hazel's mom, be, one, going through the midlife crisis post-divorce, wearing all of the robes that say, like, I've just killed my fifth husband, um, <laughs> and sleeping with a high school student. Um, because, again, like, teen boy sex comedies, this is usually seen as, like, a very cool thing. There's, like, a weird subplot in Valley Girl where, mm-hmm. you know, the, the guy's trying to sleep with the person's mom. 
And this Stifler's is one mom, the whole Stifler's thing. mom. Yeah. yeah it's yeah. like the MILF thing is a, is a thing. And this is one of the first movies that's like, no, this is messed up. Like, this is not like a cool thing. We should be aspiring for teenage boys. And this is not a cool thing that Hazel's mom is doing. So I love that little side plot. And the fact that Hazel's way of dealing with her parents' divorce is she's getting into terrorism. Like that's <laughs> really funny to me. <laughs> I, I, I was impressed with how well drawn Hazel's mom is with so little. Like it's it's really shorthanded and we get it. Like there very little is communicated about her, very little of the or a lot is communicated, but very little time is spent doing so. We get it, like you said, with how she dresses, one or two scenes of seeing her and a couple of comments. And we completely understand that woman's entire deal. You know, yes. I, I, it's impressive. Yeah. I, I'm just gonna say Carolina has had a difficult life after the events of Succession, you know, is all I'm going to put it in. <laughs> uh, that woman is played by Dagmar Dominic, uh, who they're talking about, by the way, if you don't know. Um, but yes, uh, I, I agree that that character is awesome. And the way that holds, I mean, I just love how the jocks wear, like, it's just a very subtle thing. It's not, but they wear full football uniform and padding for the entire time. film. It's like, like, it's like Daria. You know, yeah. the, the kids from Daria, the football players there. Yeah, it's, yeah. Awesome. Well, it's also yeah. a cartoon. It's also like how uh, typically in high schools on game day, that's what the cheerleaders have to do is cheerleaders mm. wear their uniforms mm. all day. And so to see the football players doing it, it's a really nice subversion where if you're if you're not paying attention, it just feels like a fun choice. Mm. But if you really remember that and remember, you know, why do the cheerleaders get to wear sh- skirts that are that short but if i wear a shirt a skirt that that short i get in trouble and i get suddenly sent to the office over breaking dress code but they can do that that's bullshit um so little things like that i'm like ooh, ooh, that one that one was for me thanks emma <laughs> there's so many awesome things happening in the background of frames with regard to the football players too it, it, yes they always wear their full uniform to school but they never wear their helmets at practice which is right. <laughs> so both sides of it make no sense whatsoever, right? It's it's absurd on both ends, and there's all these wonderful little moments of you know the quarterback Jeff, uh, who everyone just has to put on a pedestal uh, at practice. He just walks by people and they fall dramatically as if he's hit them hard. You know, it it is this mm-hmm. this idolatry uh, that you know is is so exaggerated and fun in the movie as well. I love Jeff and I love the guy who plays Tim with uh, the actor Miles Fowler because they also both like stress just silly as hell. Like Miles, mm-hmm. um, Tim at the in the what, the opening scene, the early scene where he's just shouting to the camera. And then there are a couple of different takes of that. It's like that'll either be a complete <laughs> failure of a take or <laughs> if you know what you're doing and you're like totally competent as a film like yeah, that just hits. And I think that that was the first time I was like, oh, yeah, this movie is very silly and I love it. Then you go straight to the classroom where there's a guy in a cage in the back, you know, so <laughs> you're not yeah. in the normal teen movie. Yeah, it does seem like this is a movie where a lot was improvised based mm-hmm. off of the um, the kind of bloopers that they were alternate takes that he showed in the credits. Uh, and it does have that kind of looseness to it, which uh, some people may enjoy more than others. Uh, but I think it is worth mentioning. Uh, BJ, before we wrap up here, I do want to mention you wrote a piece for about Bottoms for SlashFilm.com uh, entitled Bottoms is Here to Save Us from Sanitized Queer Representation. We touched upon this a little bit during the pre-spoiler, but I am curious if there's anything else um, that you want to mention 
about how this movie saves us from sanitized queer representation. <laughs> sure. So I'm wading in the discourse waters a little bit by saying this. Um, but I, if there's one thing that I hate more than anything in film, it's the idea of quote unquote good representation or positive mm. representation. It makes my skin crawl and makes me want to scream into the void endlessly um, because there's no such thing. Like it does not exist. What is positive representation for one person is oppressive representation for another. And th we've gotten in this weird trend lately where in order to have a queer character presented, they have to be like these weird, perfect, I hate to use the trope, but like Mary Sue type, like queer Mary Sue type characters where there's nothing wrong with them or else people complain. Um, I spent way too much time in the discourse minds during Happiest Season, a lesbian Christmas rom-com. Mm. That is not happy. It is not a happy movie. And there's a lot of conflict and people kept screaming and crying, why can't we have something nice? Well, that exists in a lot of places. We have nice queerness more than we have bad queerness. The bad queerness is just the stuff that ends up getting Oscars. Um, so it's really nice to see a film like Bottoms that is so unapologetically raunchy and they're making bad decisions and you know Rachel Senat's PJ is an asshole and something that I think is really important that this movie does is that none of the girls in this movie are bitches they are assholes there is a difference there is a huge difference in behavior they're being mean but they're not being catty like they are completely subverting the way that girl aggression is shown in film and that just is so refreshing it's so nice to see a queer character screw up and lie and be a bad person because the problem that we end up having is you know so many of us look to media to learn things either about ourselves or other people or other communities if you never give the space for failure if you never give the space for something to be bad then what ends up happening is you put real people on a pedestal and then suddenly because i am one of the only like openly lesbian people that a lot of people know in real life i then become representative of the entire community and that's a problem it's a weird mm -hmm. form of tokenization we're seeing it especially with queerness and transness because of how bad legislation is getting in America. So to have a movie come out, especially in this time period, and have these characters be a bunch of assholes is so nice. And it allows all of us to kind of breathe for a second so we can go, oh, good. We're not that bad. We're not stabbing football players in front of an audience. Whew, we're good. We're good for another week. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, can I ask you to clarify the the point you made about cattiness versus what was the what was that drawn in contrast? Oh, sure. To? So uh, being an asshole versus a bitch, or being yeah, cruel yeah. versus catty. Uh, yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah, there is a very specific way in which um, female aggression is gendered, especially in teen films. Um, you look at a, a good example, of something like Mean Girls. Mean Girls is peak cattiness and bitchiness it is done behind the back it is done in a way that is not just manipulative it is like ruin your life and traumatize you and require you to go to therapy 
sorts of manipulative cruelty. Uh, but whereas in this movie, it's a lot more in your face. It's a lot more upfront about it. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, when PJ and Josie are talking about this, you know, plan to have the, this club, PJ is very matter of fact about it. Like her on the bleachers might as well be the Jonah Hill super bad speech on the field of like, we could be that mistake. Like she's very upfront about what her intentions are. And usually we don't let female characters have that in teen movies. It ends up having this coat above it of glossiness of like, you say something so mean to somebody, but you say it in a way where if they try to check you on it, you can gaslight them where it's like, Mm -hmm. "Mm, that's a really cute outfit you have on. (laughs) I could never pull that off. Where like you say that and you're like, that sounds so mean. But if you're like, what? Are you being mean to me? Why would you think I'm being mean to you? I told you your outfit was cute. What are you talking about? Like, yeah. it's this sort of like psychological warfare. Yeah. And we don't have that in this movie. Like, there is a little bit of it with Josie making up mm-hmm. her lie about being in juvie, which is such an after school special monologue and really funny to me. Um, but when she finally like gets busted about it, she's not busted in the typical girl way. She's busted in a way that we normally see in male sex comedies where it's in her face and it comes out of real fast. Yeah. As opposed to it kind of uh, coming out, coming back to bite her in a bunch of different ways over the course of the next three years. It's just like mm-hmm. immediate consequences, you know? Exactly. It's kind of it's, one of the distinctions. And the fact that they're showing their, like literally just fighting, like just through fighting, like a thing that um, we talk about a lot on our podcast is the way that when girls are bullying in movies, the type of bullying is this like very methodical sort of thing. I don't understand why anybody is like women could <laughs> never be president because they would be bad at war. No, women are incredible at war. It's terrifying <laughs> how good we are at uh, war. Teen girls are terrifying to me. Uh, the people <laughs> were throwing around that uh, the clip from White Lotus season one with the girls by the mm. pool talking yes. to uh, And that's just like watching that scene was also like, oh, that's terrifying. And then she put them in their place. Just by yeah. just by being hot, like that was her rebuttal. Yes. Yeah. It's Maybe. like it's so the, terrifying. Yeah. There's a scene in White White Lotus season <laughs> one where Alexandra Daddario meets like a, bu- a couple of younger women, Teens. and uh, Sydney yeah, and Sweeney, and they are quite mean to her. And then she kind of yes puts them in her place, puts them in their place by simply being hot. That's correct. Yeah, uh, BJ, so, yeah. you don't have to tell all of us that women are good at war. We're all married. yeah it's like and i'm also i'm gonna i'm gonna air my own dirty laundry here i've been in a few fights uh where i grew up where i grew up was a little rough and tumble so i've been in physical fights i would much rather have a conflict with somebody and just punch each other in the face about it and be like all right you good you're good cool we're good rather Mm -hmm. than what i know absolutely happens which is that somebody who doesn't like me from high school totally stalks my Instagram to this day and we're in our 30s. Like, that's psycho behavior, <laughs> but that's the kind of thing that we're conditioned to think that we need to be doing. So to see this movie where it's like, nah, I'm just gonna punch you about it. Nice. Love it. <laughs> can, I, can I take us on a little digression, actually, on that note, if I may? Um, I, I, I saw this uh, post recently about how, like, on TikTok, about how somebody was saying how they don't like posting on Instagram anymore because mm-hmm. it feels very voyeuristic where like there's people who like and this has happened to me where somebody i met i'm gonna say 20 years ago (laughs) has looked at every single instagram story i have posted since then and has Mm -hmm. never said anything psycho (laughs) behavior has never responded has never liked has never commented and that's just 
Yeah. It that's is weird. Re- that's, that's real weird though. behavior, I think. Okay. And like, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. We don't need to go down this rabbit hole, but how many Instagrams I, are you background the shadowing? Jeff? Yeah, yeah. Jeff. many, <laughs> tons. I don't, I don't. I'm, what, what's the? You're putting it out there for people to look at. You're not sending it to you your email like. list once of friends. Once in a while, you yeah. throw it a like. Throw, throw like, it a like. Hey, once in a while. good yeah. job. Throw buddy. it a yeah. like. Yeah. What yeah. do I? I don't. That is a. <laughs> this is a two way relationship. Okay. <laughs> really? That is, that is a transaction. People are posting I do things not understand. for engagement, unless yeah. it's a private channel. So Fair like, enough. Whatever. But anyway, I, like, I don't even <laughs> look at how many likes my like or who's liking my things. I it's information I would be completely clueless to tell you about. I have no. I there's no okay, part Vin, of me. Vindra, you, you keep yeah, track yeah, of yeah, me. I see you. I see you. Yeah. I mean, I'm old. I'll post a picture of my. This is actually this is a real story. Um, so I can move my eyes independently. So this is obviously Ooh. an audio medium. So people don't know what that means. But basically, I can yeah. cross one eye uh, and not the other. And every once in a while, I'll post a picture or a video where I look annoyed, and I'll make the one eye roll. The amount of times that my images have suddenly been tagged on like pretty girls doing eye tricks Instagram or whatever. I'm like, now that's what mm. is happening yeah. here? How yeah. did you even find this? Which means that someone <laughs> found it at one point and they've just been following me this whole time waiting for another drop. And it's waiting like, for a drop. this is wild behavior. There is. I, I agree that there is massive psychological warfare occurring in the Instagram stories and uh, and who checks them and who looks at them? Mm-hmm. So that's oh all, yeah, that's all I'm trying to say. So I'm trying to say. Yep. So anyway. I'm starting okay. to worry that people are looking at the fact that I've looked at their Instagrams and absolutely, absolutely, absolutely Jeff. That is, well, I can uh-huh. guarantee you that is the case. Yes. My my wife is. doesn't use Instagram very actively. Like she does, but not really. And where where she works is like a very high public place. She'll meet a lot of people and they'll go, oh, let me follow you on Instagram. And later on that day, she'll be like, why is this person liking this photo from five years ago? And oh, like, yeah, that's the way. Well, to be fair, again. it's only like a few scrolls for you. But, but people don't look at the date. So suddenly they're yeah. like liking photos of her from I think 2018. It's weirder to throw a like on something than it is. Like that's such a... Hey, look at me! Like, look at me! I'm, I, I, I don't know. If I'm just like looking at somebody's Instagram, what does that matter? Throw Who cares? something in the like jar, Jeff. Just throw <laughs> it right there. What does do for you? It does nothing for you. I don't understand the transaction. Anyway, fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, all right. Any other thoughts on bottoms? Uh, the Emma Seligman movie. Go ahead, BJ. It sounds like you want to say something. I just have to shout out. Marshawn's improv skills because mm. the the lines he has are so fun. The couple of them that really stick with me. Anything that he says about feminism is hilarious. Anything he says about his divorce when it starts like leaking through what he's actually trying to say is really funny. But consistently across all three of my watches, when he opens class by saying the Holocaust, it happened, and then a kid goes to raise his hand, he goes, it happened. I lose my mind every nice. single time because we need that sort of matter-of-fact approach to education, and <laughs> certain states are trying to make it so we can't do that, and it, we need more teachers like Marshawn, we is what I'm it right now. If yeah. there's any chance that you haven't seen Marshawn's episode of Murderville, yeah. I highly recommend it. It's a revelation. I was like, this dude is talented yeah he is <laughs> so he is funny. a really solid improviser and funny obviously has a timing yeah. Yeah. yeah like he's sharp he's like quick on the draw on that stuff he's great yes. yeah and in that murderville episode i was like you go marshawn and I, I think i have a, i suspect he's gonna get more of this stuff because like yeah. because he's good mm-hmm. yeah 
He's good. I think it's gonna. He's, he's gonna have like the the football player sports route that like Dave Batista has been getting as an actor, where it's like, oh wait, no, you're genuinely good at this. <laughs> like, yeah. let's yeah. keep it going. Yeah, I don't know if he's as talented as Dave Batista. Person, very I John think, Cena. I think he has John a Cena very path. specific. Yeah thing that he does we very well we know? haven't seen him stretch his dramatic muscles <laughs> how yet dare you, we don't haven't seen how dare you put shakespeare yet per right. beast mm-hmm. mode in a in a box like that <laughs> <laughs> totally fair totally fair. no one All expected right. big dave to be as good as he is either and yeah. look mm-hmm. at him well maybe marshall will be the next blade runner movie right and just like really <laughs> kick our asses at the beginning because oh man <laughs> he's, gonna wear, he's gonna wear super tiny glasses super tiny and kick yeah. ryan gosling's ass and then um, m night Shyamalan's gonna be like that guy for my next mm. movie honestly i would love an m night Shyamalan directed marshall movie <laughs> indeed. indeed all right well anyway uh we mostly had a great time with bottoms uh it is gonna be available on video on demand this week what? Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. you can you'll be able to yeah. watch it at home. Very it's not soon. doing it like it. It, yeah. it had a lot of hype at the beginning, but now it's not doing well. That's right. It so. had a great video on screen average when yeah. it started. So it's like, oh, maybe this is going to be a big deal. It opened wider, wasn't a big deal, uh, but you'll be able to watch it at home. Uh, and we all enjoyed it. We'd recommend it. Uh, I want to give a big shout out to uh, BJ Colangelo, who is the writer and editor at SlashFilm.com and co-host of This Ends at Prom a coming-of-age podcast for films about or marketed towards teen girl audiences. You can check out her work at both of those places. BJ, thanks for chatting with us today. Thank you so much for having me. This has been a delight. And at the end of the day, it is really impressive that Emma Seligman made a movie. You can find more episodes of this podcast at thefilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram and threads as well as on YouTube at the Filmcast Pod. Find us on TikTok at the Filmcast, posting new videos regularly on all those channels. And if you want to support this show, patreon.com slash filmpodcast is how you can do that. Next week on the podcast, we are going to be reviewing Dumb Money, which oh, is yeah. the, I guess, movie about GameStop. It happened uh, real fast. Stonks. 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 So look forward to that. That should be a fun Remember time. that 15 minutes of all of our lives? Remember <laughs> yeah. that? Well, <laughs> that, just that, last year, it feels like. The, yeah. That two days of news, people have now spent about 18 months making a movie out of it. Yeah. So we're going to talk <laughs> about that movie right here on the Filmcast. Uh, again, Dumb Money is the review for next week. Thank you so much for listening. Until then, we'll see you later. Goodbye. Goodbye.